My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. Today, we finish up our Lenten sermon series, because next week is Palm Sunday, Palm and Passion Sunday. We finish up our Lenten sermon series on the prayer of St. Ephraim that has come into use across the church specifically during the season of Lent, but it's equally applicable during other times as well uh, in personal devotion, and I highly recommend that you dust it off maybe during certain times of year and and continue to incorporate that into your own personal prayer life because it's very powerful. And last week we looked at the four virtues that we ask God to give us, chastity, meekness of mind or humility, patience, and love. We saw that chastity involves, but is not limited to just the area of sex, but to be chaste has wider applicability across what we do and how we live. We looked at humility as a virtue that counters the grave dangers brought by pride, and we looked at patience as looking at situations from an eternal perspective instead of our own limited temporal one, and how that helps orient our actions. And finally, how love is the bond that ties everything in the Christian life together. And this morning, we're going to finish up the prayer of St. Ephraim by focusing on the last lines of the prayer, which is, O Lord and King, grant me to see my own transgressions and not to judge my brothers and sisters. And I see within the Lenten prayer of St. Ephraim a very good summation of what Barry just read from the reading from Peter, about uh, turning from evil and and, and doing good. And he talked about unity, and and we talked last week about the bond of love that binds all of this together. And this is the point of this prayer. Praying this prayer is to highlight those areas in our lives where we're asking God to help us and to ask, ask him to take away those things, those vices that turn us from him and to grant us the virtues that turn us towards him. This line of the prayer starts with, O Lord and King. So before we even get to what the prayer asks God to grant us, the ability to see our own transgressions and not to judge, we should take a moment just to highlight the use here of Lord and King. These are titles, and these are functions, and the use of them here in this line echoes the beginning of the prayer when he addressed God as, O Lord and Master of my life. So these words, Lord, Master, King, Lord and King, the use of these words has fallen out of favor in some Christian circles because they kick up for some people images of patriarchal hegemonic oppression. Because there's an idea that hierarchy is inherently bad. And that's now sort of taken as a given in our culture. I was listening to a podcast the other day and the host said that Kings are bad, and it's justifiable to use violence to overthrow them. I mean, kind of honestly, that's what we did here in America. We, you know, overthrew a king, or or overthrew our, our, our servitude towards the crown. But the assumption in that statement is that any authority structure is bad. But hierarchies are not in and of themselves bad. What makes them bad is what they do. 
And we know, brothers and sisters, that God is good and that God is love. And God is the only one who can truly reign in the best sense of what good reigning kings do. When you think of good reigning kings, you think of kings who dispense justice. You think of kings that are attentive to the needs of their people. Kings who answer petitions and grant them or deny them. Good kings punish evildoers. Good kings live lives of goodness as an example to others. And since we are Christ's, we belong to Christ. We do not belong to ourselves any longer. We belong to God. And God is truly our King, our Lord. And in faith and trust, we can come to Him in confidence, knowing that He hears and will deal compassionately with us. God is the good King. The prototypical, the archetype maybe, you could say, of what a good king is and what a good king does. As Clément wrote, the term master or lord and king, while emphasizing transcendence, does not refer to a tyrant, but to a sacrificing and liberating father whose desire is to adopt me in his son. Hmm. Let's look about the part where he talks about grant me to see. So let's talk about sight. In Acts chapter 26, verses 16 to 18, St. Paul is giving his testimony, and he says this, rise, and and this is Jesus talking here to Paul, rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those things in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. In this passage of scripture, we see something of interest in St. Paul's recounting the story of his encounter with and his conversion to Jesus Christ. Jesus explains to Paul the divine mission that has been tasked to him. And Jesus is sending him as a servant and as a witness a servant and a witness. A servant that, like Jesus, Paul will pour out his life in order to serve others through the proclamation of the gospel and the establishing of churches around the known world and his missionary work as it continues on. Like his Lord Jesus Christ, Paul will serve and he will spend his life in service. And that word used here for witness is a powerful one, right? And, and that, that word witness is, is also used for those who gave up their lives with the name of Jesus on their lips. The martyrs. Something that St. Paul himself will experience just as the Lord Jesus witnessed to his divine identity and work through his incarnation, passion, and resurrection. Paul will witness through his own life and he will witness through his own death. Jesus is sending him to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. So remember those miracles in the Gospels where Jesus restores sight to the blind? In the Gospels, Jesus also says the Spirit of the Lord is on him to do that. And and this isn't just to help physically blind people see, though that's part of it. There's some very, very cool things going on in those stories. 
The one story in particular that, that continues to, to stick out to me is when Jesus spits in the ground. Do you remember that one? A blind man comes to Jesus and asks for healing. And instead of Jesus, you know, doing the thing we would expect him to do, you know, touch him on the head. Be healed. Go. You're free now. Or just, you're, you're good. You're healed. Your faith has made you whole. Jesus stops and he spits on the ground and he mixes the, his spit with the dirt and he makes clay. And then he takes that clay and he puts it on the man's eyes. And then he says, go and wash and you'll be able to see. Isn't that weird? Isn't that, have you ever wondered what the heck is going on in that story? Why Jesus is spitting in the dust and then taking mud and putting it on the man's eyes? Why, why would you do that? Well, think, brothers and sisters. St. Paul says that all things in heaven and earth were made through who? Through Christ, right? So Christ is the one through whom all things come into existence. When we read the book of Genesis and it says God is fashioning man out of the dust of the ground, who do you think is doing the fashioning? And then God in Genesis makes man out of the dust, the clay, the mud, the dirt. So Jesus spitting in the ground and making clay and putting it on the man's eyes, he's in a sense using the thing that he used to create humans at the beginning of time and making him new eyes so he can see. The regaining of sight is a spiritual thing. Humanity's eyes have been blinded by sin, and it means that it becomes impossible for humanity to see itself enslaved to sin. And in fact, being spiritually blind is somewhat akin to drunkenness, where we can't quite process our visual imagery like we could. We look at the sins we do, and to us, they look like freedom. Sin looks like pleasure. Sin looks like something wonderful, when in fact, our sins are leading us to death. Jesus, by justifying us and by cleansing us from sin, then gives us the ability to see the sins, the transgressions that remain, the sins that we stubbornly try to hold on to, our selfishness, our anger, all of those things we have learned at the beginning of this series that we can ask God to take from us. St. Ephraim's prayer identifies this problem and asks that God would help us to see our own transgressions instead of focusing on other people's. Let's talk about the second part. Help me not to judge. In Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5, Jesus says, Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take this speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Judge not. But Jesus says something very interesting in John chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Huh. So, which is it, Jesus? 
Sounds kind of like the Proverbs. Have you ever read the Proverbs before? And the, the guy who wrote the proverb will say one thing, and then the very next verse will say something else. Like he'll say, don't answer a fool according to his folly, because you're going to be dumb too. You'll be a fool too, because he's not going to listen. And then the very next verse, it says, answer a fool according to his folly, so he can gain wisdom and learn to not be a fool. And you're like, well, which is it? Which is it? Should I answer the fool according to his folly, or shouldn't I answer the, the fool according to his folly? And the answer is, it depends. On the situation. But Jesus says, judge not. But then he says elsewhere, judge with the right judgment. How are we to understand this? I think it's safe to say that St. Ephraim has the reading from Matthew in his mind here. And I think one thing we need to note right at the beginning is that this verse is one of the most taken out of context, misused, and abused verses in all of the Bible. <laughs> Particularly, you'll see it on social media all the time. Somebody will say, wow, look what this person did. They did something really bad. And it is oftentimes objectively bad and wicked and evil. And this person may also happen to be a clergyman. Somebody will always say, well, you don't know what's in their heart. Judge not. And you're like, but, 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 but they stole money. They, they cheated on their wife. What? What? Should I still then give to them? Should I still support their ministry and read their book? Because in our lives, we find ourselves at times where we have to use judgment to make decisions concerning certain things. And hearing the words judge not is not a license to sin, and it's not a license for us to turn our heads when confronted with outright sin and evil. It's not a smokescreen telling somebody, don't judge. Judge not is not a license to do whatever you want, and then when confronted, throw up a smokescreen and still think you're somehow right with God. So again, how are we to understand this? I think St. Ephraim hits the nail on the head with how this links up with his line about seeing our own transgressions. Jesus is talking here about hypocrisy. Note the language about seeing the speck in your brother's eye, but not seeing the log in your own. Now, what would fill your vision more, a log or a speck? This is not a trick question, right? A log or a speck. It's a funny visual, right? Because you have a picture of somebody with a giant plank sticking out of their eye, and then someone with a little speck of dust in their eye or hair or something like that. How many of you ever had a hair or a piece of dust or a particle in your eye and how it makes your eye tear up and water and it takes a but and it kind of makes your vision blurry so you can't really see but imagine how bad it would be if you're trying to look out of eyes that had a plank in it or a log in it a log is going to fill your vision more because it wouldn't just be an irritant like a hair or a speck of dust it would completely obscure and distort your vision so you wouldn't even be sure what you're seeing in your brother's eye in the first place is that a speck or is that something else? The log is obscuring and distorting your vision. You can't even begin to see what's in their eye until your own distorted vision and until the irritant in your own eye is removed. And when we are granted to see our own transgressions is when in repentance we turn to the Lord and have that log pulled out. And once we encounter the Lord and we are healed and able to see ourselves as we really are, Note that this, is, this does not give us the ability to see others as they really are. Judge not, 
is all about hypocrisy. It's about piling scorn on somebody else for something that they've done and completely neglecting the own sin in your own heart. And we see this pattern all the time. All the time. A public figure will get up and be very strident against a particular issue, only to find out they were struggling with that very own sin themselves. This happens all the time. All the time. Because they can focus all of their ire on somebody else and focus all of their energy on judging that other person. When we do that, it gets us from off the hook of having to look inside our own hearts. And that's where the work begins, brothers and sisters, inside our own hearts. We have to be careful as our sight is not going to be perfect. It would be the height of folly to once having the log removed from our own eye to begin to denounce and look down on those who still have their own sight obscured. How about we help people gain their sight instead of looking down on them for not having it? This would then lead us to the sin of pride. Like we mentioned last week in the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector going to the temple to pray. The Pharisee doesn't understand he was just as big as a sinner as a tax collector as he could not see his own need for humility before God. And, and this is why we ask God for proper sight, so we can judge ourselves. Only then, and then only after spiritually maturing a little bit, can we begin to help others see clearly themselves. Father Alexander Schmemann wrote this, Spiritual writings are full of warnings against the subtle forms of pseudo-piety, which, in reality, under the cover of humility, and self-accusation can lead to a truly demonic pride. But when we see our own errors and do not judge our brothers, when in other terms, chastity, humility, patience, and love are but one in us, then and only then will the ultimate enemy, pride, be destroyed in us. And I love what he said there about spiritual writings being full of warning against subtle forms of pseudo-piety, right? It looks like humility. It looks like self-accusation, but it's actually a form of pride disguised as humility. And we find ourselves, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that person. That's what we are called to not, not to judge. Help us, Lord, to see ourselves as we are and our own need for you before we even begin to try and help other people see. And we end with the doxology, for blessed are you forever. Amen. At last, brothers and sisters, we come to the end of the prayer, and the doxology acknowledging the blessedness of God. We came into this prayer knowing that only God can take from us those vices and the passions we struggle with, and we, we saw that only God can give us the virtues that will counteract those vices and passions. And only God can grant us the spiritual sight that we need ourselves as we really are, to so see ourselves as we really are, and how that should drive us to our knees in humility as we become more aware of our own need, the unfathomable grace of God and his desire to share his divine life with us, to transform us evermore into the image of his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what this is all about, brothers and sisters, is I think what we can do is 
All of the passions and vices that we struggle with, I think many of them revolve around pride. And in some sense, the Christian life is a struggle and a fight against pride because we are tempted to take pride even in the smallest area of spiritual accomplishment. And we have complete whole letters in the scriptures. First Corinthians, read it. It's pretty amazing. Where Paul says, you guys think you're, you're hot stuff, but you're really not. You think you're spiritually mature, but guess what? You really aren't. You're still spiritual babies because you don't have love. You don't have love. And love, I think, ultimately, love exercised through humility is the antidote to pride. And I think that that's what this prayer ultimately is all about, is that we are awakening to the love of God, experiencing the love of God, and then showing the love of God to others, even as those things that keep us from experiencing that love and showing that love to others, we ask God to take that away from us so we can turn more and more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, to whom is due all glory, honor, and adoration, together with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. If you have a few minutes, I'd like to ask you to go to gofundme.com slash zionstonechurchrepairfund. Our bell tower is in need of some major renovation and repairs, and we can use whatever help you're able to give to us. If you'd like to find out more about us, check us out on our Facebook page, Zion Stone UCC, or on our website, zionstoneucc.com. Thanks again for listening. I pray that these sermons will continue to strengthen you in your walk with Jesus Christ, and may the blessings of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you. Thank you.